0: Hi, it's Lynn Galadner and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now, I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. I've had eight books published already, and I just finished my second novel, so stay tuned for news about when and where you can read it. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngalodner.com, and you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast, where you'll find stories of courageous people daring to share their talent with the world. Now, on to the show. I first met Minda Zetlin years ago through ASJA, the American Society of Journalists and Authors, and I was impressed and inspired by her dedication to her regular column in Inc. Magazine. She's continued to thrive in a journalistic arena that is constantly changing. Minda is the author of several books, including Career Self-Care and The Geek Gap, and she writes the popular Ink column, Laid Back Leader. Minda's writing offers research-backed advice to help ambitious people get the most out of their careers and their lives. A former president of ASJA, Minda lives in Snohomish, Washington. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Well, Minda, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a delight to see you again, and I'm excited to hear about your wonderful career. And I want to start at the beginning. I know that you said you always knew you wanted to write. So how did you make it happen? Like, what was your big break?
1: I did always from from when I was um, quite young, wanted to be a writer. Um, embarrassingly, my mother told me to be a writer <laughs> and, and told me I was stuck. Um I see I was I was um, when I was I don't know I think less than 10 years old I was um, an only child so I guess mm-hmm. I made up a story about a bunch of characters and drew little pictures of them and the pictures probably weren't that great and I wrote out you know the story of what was happening to them my mom looked at it and said you're a writer <laughs> so, That's great. anyway anyway yeah so it stuck so um, while I was in college, um, through I don't know luck and knowing someone who worked there, I got a job writing editorials on the school's newspaper, which was actually the only um, morning daily newspaper in that town. So, for oh. a school, for a college newspaper, it was taken quite seriously. Yeah, had AP feed and everything. Oh. Um, And um, so I became an editorial writer, so I got to spout my opinions. And then I was really disappointed when I graduated and went out into the world and discovered that in real newspapers, editorial writers are people who have been reporters for 40 years because I didn't like (laughs) that part. So (laughs) I wound up working for a trade magazine company um, Mm -hmm. that was actually a pretty lucky break, I guess, to get because they – didn't pay you very well, but they trained you in everything about putting out a magazine. Um, and the writers did everything. I mean, partly it was cheapness on their part, I'm sure, but you know, we did layout and um, proofreading, which I, I was and am terrible at. Okay. And um, Lots of other stuff, but it was interesting because you got to kind of see the whole process. But It was also um, I knew that it wasn't probably the long-term place for me because I wanted to write. And as often as the case in publishing the higher up you got, the less mm-hmm. writing you did, yeah. So, um, so while I was doing that, various people wandered into the office who were fr- freelance writers. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them had previously worked for the company, mm-hmm. and they just looked very relaxed and happy, and mm-hmm. I thought okay. I think that's what I want to do. <laughs> so I started inviting them to lunch and saying, you know, can I buy you lunch and ask you a bunch of questions? And, um, some of them were nice enough to do it. And that's how I learned how to write an article pitch. And that's how I, one of the ways I learned about ASJA actually okay. learned about ASJA from many different directions around that time. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, so, um, I decided that I wanted to freelance and I, um, Kind of set myself a, you know, a time, mm-hmm. an amount of time that I knew that I was going to keep working and then I would leave. I can't remember what that was based on. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, and um, fortunately for me, another a friend of mine who worked there, um, right around the time that I was making this decision, decided to, or got a job um, Mm -hmm. running a management magazine for the American Management Association. And Mm -hmm. so I went in his office and closed the door and said, okay, nobody knows this yet, but (laughs) I'm about to be a freelancer in case you um, need me. And he did. So, um, you know, so that was great. little breaks that all led to here. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about some of your, um, you know, career trajectory in a bit. But I really want to hear about your new book. So I'm curious about, you know, where the idea came from, and and I'd love to hear about the research and writing process, and and also your publisher. So take me through, like, where did the idea come from, and how did you get to the point of this beautiful book?
1: Okay, well, thank you. So um, through a continuing succession of small breaks, <laughs> I wound up um we're doing what I'm still doing now writing a column on the ink magazine website yeah and um, that's a super interesting thing to do and I've been doing it for more than a decade it's amazing um, and I have one of the reasons I've stuck with it is that I have a lot of latitude to almost write whatever I want mm-hmm. and for a while there I was writing 24 columns a month which is a lot oh, oh my god And it's um, that's crazy that's like six
0: a week that's that's insane
1: yeah, not quite but okay. yeah, it's it's slightly more than one every weekday. Yes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. And yeah, and so running twenty so with twenty-four columns a month, I had lots of time and room to explore all kinds of topics. Yeah. And you know, the nice thing about writing for the web, if the organization you're writing for is transparent with you, or if you're doing it on your own website, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, you can see in real time how people are reacting to the things you write, whether they Mm -hmm. like them, whether they're clicking on them, whether they're they're sharing Mm -hmm. them. So you learn pretty quickly Mm -hmm. what appeals to people, what kinds of headlines appeal to people and all that. So, Mm -hmm. and I was always looking for, you know, the intersection of what people really wanted to read and what I really wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it turned out to be things about... Productivity, mindfulness at work, work life balance, you know, Mm -hmm. figuring out this whole thing of, of, you know, my short description of the book, like having um, a career that you love and a happy life without making yourself miserable, Mm -hmm. which is super challenging for a lot of people, including me. As I was writing about these topics, people seemed to like them, people responded to them. I wrote um, a column that was like a Cause some sort of catharsis called 10 reasons you have to stop working so hard one year oh, when I was I was really working seven days a week and making myself crazy and oh um, I read about this um, young copywriter in Indonesia who literally worked herself to death and oh. tweeted as oh she my was God. doing it oh my and God. I um, I got just really taken with that story because I didn't realize it was possible to work yourself to death if you had you know kind of a desk yeah. job yeah and um it, but it was like a wake-up call. So, anyways, so I wrote this thing called Ten Reasons You Have to Stop Working So Hard, and it absolutely mm-hmm. went viral. And people were forwarding it back to, you know, friends of mine, saying, "Wow, this really resonated." And they would go, "Boy, they had no idea that I know you." <laughs> so <laughs> That's that so kind cool. of thing. So yeah. Yeah, it was, and but it kind of got me um, interested in those topics, and I love doing it because the more I learned about, um, you know, how to be more productive um, by kind of taking care of yourself as you're killing yourself doing your work <laughs> and how the brain works and what it needs and mm-hmm. what we need as human beings to be really good at the work that we love. I was trying out all these things on myself and mm. all of it was helping me. So, you know, it's like any any writer when you've written enough articles about something you start thinking could this be a book? Mm. So, it had been kind of in the back of my mind could this be a book and, you know, at some point I talked to my agent about it.
0: Mm-hmm. I hadn't
1: done a book in a while and um she had <laughs> So I don't think I've ever put the title in any book I've written. I titles are just not my my wheelhouse. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So um she's she it turned out had this title that had been floating around that she'd been trying to kind of fit a book to, which was mm-hmm. Career Self-Care. Okay. And it was just a really good match for what I was writing about, which okay. didn't have a I didn't have an easy phrase for it until then. Yeah. So um you know, because she had handed me this title, um, I really put a lot of work when I wrote the book proposal into making sure it was my book yeah. and very personal and what I wanted to say. Okay. And um, we started out with um, a publisher who, at first, was as you know how these things happen. At first, was very interested in the book. Then it took me a long time to write the book proposal, um, <laughs> but their vision for the book was actually kind of different from mine. Okay. And when after you know a lot of hemming and hawing and staff changes at their end or whatever they passed on it. Um, mm-hmm. It wound up at New World Library, which I just love. And they're a super small publisher, but I think I want them to publish every book I ever write. Nice. Ever, because they they were, were just so wonderful to work with.
0: Amazing. So so there are so many questions about everything you just said. So um, first of all, you already had an agent. So tell me that process. Like, when did you get this agent and what had you worked with her on before? So yeah, I want to hear that backstory.
1: Okay. Um, again, so, so she, she, again, like way, way, way back in time, because goodness, the first time I published a book was in the late (laughs) nineties. A lot of stuff comes back to ASJA. I always say, you know, I'm sure I would have had some sort of career without ASJA, but I have no idea what it would have been because (laughs) so much of what I've done has come to me through ASJA one way or another. Yeah. So I was at the ASJA conference Mm -hmm. and, um, I was there with, or I had a group of friends that we had used to meet once a month for drinks. We called it wine and wine Mm -hmm. drinks, you know, shop talk. Uh Uh And so one of them um, had the same agent and Uh we, she, we were at the luncheon. I had a seat saved next Mm -hmm. to her and she said, I know you've got the seat saved, but would you mind Giving it up because it's my my one chance to talk to my agent. She's here too. And mm. I said, tell you what, you can have my seat if you introduce me to your agent. So, yeah. So, so she did. Uh-huh. Um, and then as it worked out, so back to the American Management Association, I had kept writing for them even after um my friend had moved on to other magazines, which so mm-hmm. I also followed him, but I, you know, once I get a client, I usually stick like a burr. Yeah. So <laughs> um, so I was still writing for them. This was like um you know, p- quite a while after um, I had left that trade magazine job. Mm-hmm. They also had a book publishing arm and I had been writing. So this was the late 1990s and I had started and I was writing, but I was also flirting with technology and I was getting some of the early, you know, early precursors to, you know, what are now things like, um, you know, quoted in hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, So I had started seeing this stuff about how the year 2000 was coming and it was going to confuse a lot of computers. And so I wound up writing an article about it that was popular. And then I said, well, maybe I should write a book about this. Mm -hmm. And um, the company, the American Management Association, agreed that they wanted to publish it. So now I had
0: Mm -hmm.
1: a book idea and a publisher. Nice. But so I thought two things. I thought, um, first of all, I don't know how to negotiate this on, on my own. I could use some help. And second of all, this seems like a perfect opportunity to um, form a relationship with an agent that I might want, you know, later on. So I went back to the agent and said, so here's the deal. I've got this, I've got this deal all put together. All you have to do is negotiate it for me. So of course she said, yes.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: um, she, her agency has been my agency ever since. Um, I wound up working more with her partner, Um, but yeah, but that's how I got the
0: agent. That's amazing. That's so great. And so how many books did you do before career self-care?
1: four, but one of them was ghostwritten. Okay. So three that have my name on them. Is that right? That doesn't sound right. Okay. No, four, four that have four. my name on them. I forgot that I did a dummy's book in there that had slipped to my mind. Nice.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Like how much time did you spend researching and writing and, you know, and all of that until it was ready to go? Just
1: back up a step because yeah. along the way, something kind of fun happened, which is that there were actually two publishers who wanted to buy the book um, the other publisher was uh, something called Hungry Minds, which is, I think, very fascinating. And they publish these books that are designed to be read in an hour, oh. um, which you might think is terrible if you're like a really serious writer, Or you might think is wonderful. But what uh-huh. it undeniably is, is a whole new modern take on how to publish books. Interesting. And, um, so, for, so I didn't have a bidding war exactly, but for a brief mm-hmm. moment there, I had two publishers who wanted the book, went back to both of them and asked them if they would um, improve the deals they were offering. Um, the publisher, so New World Library did, they mm-hmm. up that it was a, a low advance and it became mm-hmm. uh, still a low advance, but slightly less low. <laughs> and the other publisher said that they might be interested in doing condensation of that book when it comes out. So that still hasn't happened for me, but okay. the research for the book, I did do some research, but a <laughs> lot of the research was already done because so much of it was built on things i have been writing about already. Yeah. And um some of it was built on my own life, but mm-hmm. um, I mean I don't know how much of it you've read, but some of it a lot of it is is personal and my own experience. A lot of it is people that I've interviewed along the way. Like I start mm-hmm. the book with a story about a guy named um originally named Brad Willis, now named Baba Ram, who um was an NBC correspondent and um basically destroyed his life and his health because he had a Uh, injury right, uh, a spinal injury right before he was about to start a new, Mm. very high powered um, foreign correspondent job. And he didn't want to take the time to go have it treated. Mm. And so he just went to work injured and, you know, lived with the injury for years. And eventually it kind of, it it brought him down basically. Um, And it was so unnecessary. And, you know, and so he recovered and he became um, a yoga master and yoga teacher and, you know, wound up having a completely different you know, wonderful yeah. career, but it, the story stuck with me because it was such um such an example of, of all the things that you know we all do wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. all of us, yeah, uh, because of this culture that we live in. So a lot of that stuff was there. I just had to kind of you know fish it out and and figure out how it applied to the book. Um, I did do some research in particular. I realized that a book about work-life balance has to address the issue of parenting while working, which is so difficult for so many people. I myself am yeah. not a parent. So I had yeah. to, and I had written about that too, but yeah. I went and did some more research about that because um you know, because I couldn't speak from personal experience there. The So the researching wasn't that much additional work, but writing the book itself took an mm-hmm. extremely long time, partly mm-hmm. because I was still um, writing very frequently, although less frequently for Inc. and others. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But mostly because, you know, and this will this will be meaningful to you and it might be meaningful to anyone out there who's really a professional writer and like, yeah. you know, has been doing it for a long time and earning their living that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So if you're a professional writer, you know, pretty much, and you know how to do the research and you're good at what you do, then pretty much anything you take on Mm -hmm. will come out professional. and good. Yeah. But I wanted something else. I wanted everything in that book to be really something that was true for me and heartfelt. And Mm -hmm. so I really took my time writing it. And that Mm. was, you know, that was kind of the filter I put it through, you know, for me. And I think the way people are responding to the book, that sort of has paid off or, Mm -hmm. or I don't know if it's paid off in terms of sales, but it's definitely paid off in terms of impact when people read it. Yeah. So, um, so I took a really long time because of, because of those two things, because I was still working, um, you know, close to full time at my other work Um, because I was a low advance and I had to make a living and I didn't want to uh, disappear from ink just when I was about to need them as a platform to promote the book. So For um, for all those reasons. Um, and partly because I really didn't want to rush it. And one of the many reasons I absolutely love this publisher is they were incredibly nice about that. Hmm. And so I wound up turning in the manuscript, I think eight months or something after I was supposed to, okay. and, um, they, they were super great about it and and they loved the book when they got it. So, um, you know, so it's worth it. All out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So,
0: um, tell me a little bit about, you know, how it's done, what reaction has been and like, what are you doing to market it as well?
1: So, um, well, you know, many, many podcasts like this for <laughs> one thing. So, I, you know, I've done lots of different things to market it. Um, you know, like, as always you think, oh gee, I could be marketing it more. or I should be more effective. Um, <laughs> I looked for opportunities to mention it in my column, which mm-hmm. is, which can be powerful. I haven't, you know, I, I only kind of, it's weird. It's the lowest hanging fruit. And I kind of started doing that most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to get out there and speak, um, mm-hmm just something that I love to do. And now I have a really good reason to do it because when I do go out there and speak, um, I do inevitably sell a whole bunch of books, which is, you know, which is really nice. So I, myself, I'm not sure how it's doing, you know, based on its Amazon ranking, but I myself have sold and like reordered boxes of books several times. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I get the the author's discount and usually I pass them along or part of it along to people anyway. Nice. Um, So Every time I speak, I seem to sell, you know, 20 books or something. So I've been doing more of that. a strange thing, but while I was writing the book, my husband and I went on a drive. It was our anniversary, and we were just, we hadn't really made plans for some reason. So we were just wandering around, and Mm -hmm. we wound up in a town called Arlington that's north of here, Mm -hmm. and it had a brand new, um, very lovely-looking ice cream parlor. So we figured getting an ice cream cone on our anniversary would be a good thing to do. So we go in the ice cream parlor, and I look, and there's another business inside this building, and I can't quite tell what it is. It's not a bar exactly, but it looks really nice and inviting. Mm-hmm. So there were people inside. So I just walked in and said, um, "This is an odd question, but what is this place?" <laughs> and what it was was a co-working space that was about to open. In oh, okay. Months. And I said, "Well, you know, so I have this book, and you know, we got to talking, and they got really interested in me. So the book came out, and um, I got back in touch, and I went and did an event up there, and they bought." books for everybody who came. Amazing. And um, what I realized is that probably more than bookstores, co-working spaces are, you know, the perfect place for me to do events. So, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's in my, in my plans to do a lot more of those as well as, you know, other things. Um,
0: nice.
1: I do a, a workshop on goal setting that, you know, I'll probably do a bunch of around the beginning of the year mm-hmm. that is one of the chapters of the book and it's, I've done it for ink audiences and a lot of other audiences and people seem to really like it. So nice. And and that too sort of began way back in the dark ages with a goal setting workshop that I um, went to and Partic- and a different one that I kind of created for mm-hmm. ASJA. So <laughs> there again, you know, it's ASJA the background.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's so great. I love it. Um, and I will definitely put ASJA and other resources in the show notes so that people can check it out and join and, and learn more. And, you know, I had a little bit of a hiatus from my membership because I was so focused on marketing and not as much on writing. And then in the past few years, as I've gotten back to it, I'm like, I need to go back to ASJA and it's it's awesome. So. Um, so yes, I will make sure that people know when they're listening, you can join American Society of Journalists and Authors. It'd be a great yeah, plug.
1: I, you're right. Didn't mean to to um, make this whole podcast no. about, ASJA, but when you talk about my career, you can't, you can't absolutely but, um factor it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think if you want to be a professional writer, you need support you need community and an organization like asja and there are others out there too it can be so fruitful and just you know not only for community but for resources and relationships like your agent and other things too so definitely um an important factor yeah
1: yeah i mean like i think a lot of people who are you know what inc calls solo printers like a one-person business yeah um who you know if you're a one-person business and you're selling I don't know, ice cream cones or whatever, you're selling products to consumers, that's one thing. But if you're a one person business and your clients are large entities, corporations mm-hmm. with lots of accountants and lawyers and things, mm-hmm. the balance of power is extraordinarily bad yeah. for you. Yeah. And having a group or something that can at least advise you yeah. uh, is you know, one of the, the few tools you have at your disposal and it's silly not to use it
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, you said that you've, um, that to be successful as a professional writer, you need to treat writing like a business. So I'd love it if you could describe for our listeners what that entails for you.
1: Yeah. You, and you are, I mean, if you are a professional writer, you are a one person business and it's, it's important to remember that because I think most people don't come into this profession that I guess there's some who do, but most people don't come to this profession with the primary goal to make a lot of money because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have the same linguistic skills and you want to make a lot of money, law school is probably a better bet, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so we do this because we enjoy it, because we love seeing our name out there in the world, because we have something to say and we want to say it, um, mm-hmm. you know, because we love the research and the different aspects of learning something new every time, every day. Mm-hmm. Um But nevertheless, if you want to make a living at it, now, if you don't want to make a living at it, if you, if you just want to write to support some other work that you're doing or, Mm -hmm. you know, for fun or as a hobby, then you can just ignore everything I'm about (laughs) to say. But if you um, want this to be your profession, then it does need to be a business. And that means um, everything from thinking about how much money you need to earn and how, you're going to do that and how um, I think for most of us, probably not everyone, but I think for most successful writers, finding a dependable income stream of some sort, some someone that you write for over and over and over again. This mm-hmm. is why when I get a client, I stick like a bird because yeah. Yeah. it is as in every profession, it is so much easier to go sell something new to an existing customer than to activate yeah. a new customer yeah. and um, uh, publishing has a constant ongoing need for content. So there is mm-hmm. no reason. Um, and, you know, so do corporate clients. Uh, yeah. That's what you're writing for. So, yeah. um, so, so if you're, if they're a good customer and you're good at what you do, there's no reason not to kind of keep pursuing that as a, um, an ongoing vein that you can mine. You need to think about those things. You need to think about how much effort you put into something in relation to how much you get paid for it and yep. what, The ancillary benefits might be, um, you know, for example, being published in some place that you want to use the clip from or you want to Mm -hmm. refer to and say, hey, I was published there. I find and this is probably true even if you're doing writing as a hobby, you need to think about um, how miserable somebody makes you if you're working with them and whether that's worth it because I've a few times had clients that made me just even reluctant to go into my office and work and once that Mm. happens, you know, that's. That's not going to be good for your income. So right. find ways to do it. You know, think about you know, how to balance your finances in relation to having an income that could be undependable. Mm-hmm. Stupid things like you know health insurance and mm-hmm. all the other stuff that you know you have to do when you're self-employed. Yeah, all the things that go into being a one-person business. Some of which mm-hmm. are are seriously uninspiring, but <laughs> uh, you know, like invoicing and chasing down customers that don't pay you when they're supposed to, and all of that.
0: Yeah.
1: Track of everything and paying, um, estimated taxes because once again you're a one person business all that stuff you know you can't just like sit in your garret and write if you want to be a professional writer <laughs> so it, th- that's all great advice and
0: i i really appreciate it and so that's a great segue into asking you about your ink column so i'd love to hear how how you got that and then um, how you've kept it up as journalism has evolved
1: so i had um you know i'm going to be a broken record here so i did <laughs> a session for ASJA on technology writing and another member um suggested an editor on the ink website as a possible Mm -hmm. speaker and she um turned out to be a great speaker and i had not met her before but so sometime after i did the session i sent her an email and said so hey i'd like to write for you Mm -hmm. Um, and back then it was it wasn't a column it was like straightforward articles you know kind of kind of like any research article that you might do for any publication and um So I started writing for her. Um, I also eventually met one of the um, editors on the print side of the magazine and wrote for them a little bit um, Mm -hmm. sometime later, again, involving, uh, involving AJ, I have to say, Mm -hmm. but um, so I started writing very regularly for her. And then the website kind of went through a lot of transition Mm -hmm. and it sort of morphed from, and, you know, this is kind of the way the world was evolving. Um, Google, it, it was even more true then than it is now, but it's still true. Google rewards websites that are frequently refreshed. And so for them and, you know, and every new thing can have new advertising on it. So for them to put a lot of content out more quickly became um, a financial goal. And so the website evolved a bit along the way. Um, in the course of making that happen, and I kind of, you know, stuck like a burr, and uh, started working with with them in the different formats they were doing, and eventually it came down to this transition from like, you know, articles to more news analysis, opinions, single interviews, where you know you mind somebody for whatever interesting they have to say, and then and then do that that are a lot quicker to do. That's why I could do twenty four of them a month. I started out with eight columns a month was my commitment. And because I was mostly being paid by page views, which is um, a risky proposition for sure, um, I wasn't making that much money, but it was ink and it was a a brand I wanted to be associated with. So I was kind of rolling along. And the more I thought about it, really recommend doing this, especially if you're a self-employed writer from time to time, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, from time to time, stop and like think about your career from the 20,000 foot perspective and what you want. Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to just, you know, go from project to project. And most of the time, if somebody wants to hire us, we're like, yay, (laughs) you know, and that's fine. But at some point, you know, if if you're good at what you do and you stick like a bird and you get a bit more successful, you start having choices and you should make those choices thoughtfully. And, you know, and it's not always obvious to us what our choices are. So Mm -hmm. anyway, um, so one evening I was trying to figure this all out and I sat down with my husband and just had a very long talk about all the different kinds of work I was doing and what I liked best and mm-hmm. what seemed like it had potential to me. And the mm-hmm. conclusion I came to after this discussion was that I should really um, go all in with ink, sort of write about this whole process in the book too. I communicated that to ink, you know, mm-hmm. i would like to do more stuff for you. Um, I didn't say I'd, I'd this whole talk with my husband, but I did say know, I <laughs> I would like to do more and, um, timing, you know, there's no force in this world more powerful than timing. So timing was great because at just around the time that I said that they were looking to basically triple the content that they had on the site. So, oh. so an editor there came to me and proposed an extremely complicated deal, which, um, you know, I won't describe unless you want me to cause it's boring <laughs> Okay. Um, to give me an incentive, like a guaranteed minimum income, if I would triple the columns I was writing from eight to 24 and that's how it came to be 24. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it, it just worked out really well. Um, it, I figured out how to get traffic. I drove a ton of traffic I was doing really well financially. Um, Mm -hmm. some of that changed because of the pandemic and some other stuff, but, um, but you know, it, it turned out to be a really, um, nice income source and um nice. so so I stuck with it and so so that's how the column came to be. Um mm-hmm. I wound up with a really wonderful editor there who is um you know what we call a sponsor when we talk about mentoring and sponsoring she's mm-hmm. um she really kind of has looked out for my welfare within well, the great um, yeah. the ecosystem for years. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what would ever happen if she left? I don't know, but I am. Um, I do have as many relationships as I can with other editors because you always have to do that. Because yeah, you never do. know, right? And yeah. you know, it's always if you're writing for um for a uh, publishing, if you're writing for a publication, there are be part of your business. Then the more people there that you know and have connections with, the safer <laughs> you are. <For> sure. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. Um. So. Uh, so that's how Ink started, and um for a wide variety of reasons I've never gotten bored with it and Mm. it's still the most fun fun thing I do. So, um, Mm, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So there it is. So even though, you know, and I mean the downside is with COVID and some changes that they've made and my having written for them a bit less while doing the book that my income from ink isn't what it was, but I'm, I like it enough and it's been a powerful enough force for good in my career that I'm willing to stick with it and Mm -hmm. figure out how to, how to make that income work because, um, that's just been a great asset
0: that's amazing. that's amazing so um so I do have a question. um I was really appreciative of your um your candidness on the guest questionnaire. I was so surprised to learn that the hardest part of your career has been the challenge to believe in yourself because uh, that that floored me because you've always epitomized sort of the mm-hmm. Definition of a successful, talented writer in my eyes. And so I was like, wow, like I'm not alone in battling self-doubt, you know, like, um, and I know that a lot of writers do battle imposter syndrome and am I that good that I'm going to get hired to write or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I wonder if you might talk about that a little bit and and how you've overcome this, this challenge to self-belief as well over the years.
1: Uh, assuming I have overcome it. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, unfortunately um, for me, the, I am super dependent on external validation. So I needed a lot of people over the years to say, gee, you're a good writer to feel like I was one. Yeah. Um, but also think of myself as a serviceable writer, right? You know, like you figured out how to do the mechanics of it, but you can't mm-hmm. really, you're not, you, you can't really inspire people. And I think that putting ourselves in the second tier, you know, not saying like, if someone else could do this, why can't I, if someone Mm -hmm. else, um, you know, could have a say a number one New York times bestseller not that that's anywhere in my future, but, um, you You never know,
0: you never never know, right.
1: You never know, but I mean, why can't I, you know, we, we all tend to sort of limit ourselves and we tend to, or at least I do and to believe what others tell us about ourselves. So, um, and, you know, and I'm not good at, I, I, I could never be, you know, the, per- the entrepreneur or the person who says, okay, I know what I'm doing is brilliant, even if the rest of the world doesn't recognize it, right? <laughs> that, that would never be me. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a female thing, it might be, but I, I think everyone, um, and especially with writing, it's such a solitary and sort of personal thing to do. And, you know, the, the more you kind of right, who you really are and what you really think and believe, the more exposed you feel. Yeah, for um, sure. And yet, the more you do that, the greater your ability to um, connect with other people and have them um, draw meaning from whatever it, it was you wrote. And probably took me, I don't know, 20 years to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> more. yeah. Um, and it's still, it's, it's, it's really hard. And um, it took a long time to kind of, you know, a long time. And like I say, a lot of stupid external validation because I can't do it for myself to yeah. to get to where I feel a bit more comfortable with that exposure. This is good, like the, the world's stupidest example, but um, off and on throughout my life, I've ridden horses, and I'm sort of good at it and very clumsy at it at the same time. <laughs> and one time, somebody had said something to me about. Sp- I mean, pro- probably one of the hardest parts of riding a horse actually getting on the horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somebody had something to me about springing into the saddle and I, I don't know, I took it too literally or something. And I like tried to get on too abruptly or too quickly. And I actually went over the top of the horse oh. and fell off on the other side. Oh my gosh. My shirt along the way. I mean, I was fine, but I was, it, I was ridiculously embarrassed and yeah, I don't know, like just a couple of years ago in, in relation to something and I can't remember what now I actually wrote about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be in the book. I can't remember, but I wrote about that. And I thought, you know, even a few years ago, I would have been too embarrassed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. having done something so stupid and clumsy, to put it in writing. So I realized, wow, I must have gained a little bit of confidence if I'm willing to, you know, yeah. to tell the whole world that I, I made a fool of myself in this way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, why does it take so many years to get there? I, I mean, it shouldn't. Because yeah. the more you can do that stuff, the more powerful a writer you are.
0: I agree. I agree. I, I actually said, what was it? I said... Um, you know i'm 51 and i was like well i'm in my 50s and i'm going to say what i want and one of my friends who's in her 60s said you said that when you were 40 <laughs> i'm like so okay great i'm glad you're listening but i know i did not say that when i was 30 like i think it was getting to a certain age where i was like you know what i've lived a bit and i've made a lot of mistakes and i've learned from those mistakes and so like i'm i'm sick of i'm sick of just trying to you know keep it under the radar like i'm just going to speak my mind and so I think a lot of that brave writing does come once we've ha- lived a few years and and had some experience and and then I I do think you're right that readers just respond really well when you when you're vulnerable in that way and you're and you're re- really honest so um, so that's awesome I really appreciate it I know that's that's a, a vulnerable question but I think a lot of re- listeners are really going to relate to it so I, I do appreciate that
1: no. Yeah. Thank you. So,
0: as our conversation comes to a close, I wonder um, what advice you might offer aspiring writers who might be listening.
1: I mean, I feel like that's you know we've been doing that for the whole forty five yes. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Buy the book. Join it. Um, a- join ASJA. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Buy the book. <laughs> yes. um, it's not a book about writing. Full disclosure. But, yes. Yes. Um, but it's a book about you know having a career that you love, which is could be um, a lot of freelance writers have told me that it's it's pertinent to them because it's so easy to work all the time when you do this kind of work. So easy. Um, And I've done it. And I know. Yeah. Um,
0: But I do think that um, if you want to be a writer, you have to support other writers. And so, you know, buying your friends books.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm in a book group and so many of the ladies in the book group, um, you know, want, want to want to get the book from the library. And that's fine. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think supporting libraries is great, too. But I'm kind of like, yeah. well, I buy books, because yep. Yep. I want people to buy mine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think, you know, the times that we're living in have more opportunities for writers than any that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's if you're starting out, it's great to think about that and think about all the different ways that you can be a writer and all the different Um, things that you can do and think about what you really want from it. I mean, if your main goal is to make a good living, um, that could probably take you in a very different direction from if your (laughs) goal is to get your ideas out there, um, which could take you in still a different direction from if your goal is to establish yourself as an expert in a given topic that you're Passionate about and want to learn more about, and want to, you know, for example, I have friends who are wine writers because mm-hmm. wine is their passion. So, mm-hmm. you know, so there's many different ways to slice and dice what's out there, mm-hmm. um, including your own blog or uh, website or mm-hmm. whatever, or Medium posts or, or um, Substack posts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more than any other time that I've known, you can really put whatever it is you want to create out there in the world and see uh, and learn about how to get people to pay attention to it and see if people do pay attention to it and do like it. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: as with me and Inc., when you find that intersection between what you want to do and what the market out there wants to buy, whether it's readers for your blog, whether it's um, publications, websites. Mm-hmm. Um, companies, a lot of the, uh, a lot of companies publish a lot of content that is not, um, not just promotional, although that's, that can Mm -hmm. be fun too. That's, that's just like articles you might write for a magazine, only they pay twice as much. Yeah, (laughs) which is great. Yeah. uh, Which is great. So there's all kinds of ways to, um, to approach this profession now. And I think, you know, to come at it with an attitude of opportunity because there's going to be opportunity everywhere and um, exploration Mm -hmm. is what I would tell anyone what what I have told other younger writers now there's just Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that you can get into this um, and it's a great time to do it
0: awesome well Minda Zetlin thank you so much for being a guest on the make meaning podcast well thank you so much it's been fun Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.